So here we are, man. It's Extra Credit, the Rock You podcast. Time for episode one. I'm Seth Hinckley. Sitting beside me is the, the Dean of Rock You, the man himself, Matt Black. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. So uh, what are you wearing today, Matt? Well, Seth, I might be tipping my hand a little bit for what's coming later, but I am wearing my Beatles Hard Day's Night t-shirt with head portrait headshots of the Fab Four themselves with their mop tops. And I'm wearing my Rock You, Rock the Confine 2020 limited edition t-shirt. Very limited. Very limited. Only a few were made. So, Actually, I don't think any remain. <laughs> but only, wow. a few were, only a few were distributed, put it that way. <laughs> well, I feel lucky to have one. All right, so we're going to start our illustrious podcast with uh, Matt's and mine top five albums. And the rules that we had for this top five albums, this is not top five in sales. This is not top five in plays on Spotify. This is not top five anything except our opinions about what's all killer, no filler. And the rules were every cut, you think every cut on this album that, that you're picking is good. And that you don't, when you put on the album, you don't skip anything front to back. And for us old folks, that means we listen to everything on side one and side two. <laughs> so, side two is the thing when you had to flip a record over, kids. Don't or the tape. Anymore. The or the tape. Or the cassette. Well, you usually have to flip that over. You had the auto reverse function. I don't know. I guess really old school. You'd have to did flip you, that over. Did too. you ever, what's the Tom Petty song where. Now side two. Where the, where the, hello where, CD listeners. Yeah, hello CD listeners. <laughs> That's on full for moon those fever. Of us, for those of us, yeah. for those of the older listeners yeah. listening on records or tapes, we're gonna have a little pause That's so right. they can flip over to side two. We just might be talking about that album later. Oh well. <laughs> all right. So do you want to start? We're gonna we're gonna go. Let's go five to one. Well, I didn't actually rank them, but I'll go five to one in the order I wrote them down. And my okay. first my first album was in fact Full Moon Fever by Tom Petty. And that's for the, a good choice. <laughs> is that one on your list too? Not on my list. All right. Well, I just want to say that for those of you who know me, you won't be surprised about this at all. But I actually put, I have a playlist where I have a, a of just my hundred favorite albums, and so I had to go through and figure out which were going, which five were going to be there. And Seth, I used your criteria. I didn't necessarily pick my favorite albums, but I picked the ones where I do not skip a track. And yeah, that's what makes it hard. I had about twenty, and to get down to five, I had to make a tournament style bracket and play them off against each other. I, I seeded them, I put them in the bracket, and I ended up with five. <laughs> oh, man. And like I said, no one who knows me is going to find that surprising at all. But let's get to Full Moon Fever. Uh, just a couple things about it. First of all, uh, it, just a minor point of minutia trivia. Um, this is not a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers record. This is a Tom Petty record that he a made. a solo record. That's right, a solo record. Mike Campbell from the Heartbreakers was heavily involved. But Tom Petty really wanted to do something without the rest of the band and with Jeff Lynne, the famous producer and ELO founder. I was going to say, I founder. thought Jeff Lynne was a part of that recording. And they yeah. wrote the songs together. And they all and every song on this album is good. And the song you probably know best is Free Fallen, which just as a little another piece of trivia... Tom really did not like playing that song live because that's all anybody ever wanted to hear. It's a really simple song. It's Depending on how you define it, it's either got two chords or three chords. But uh, audience, you got to give the people what they want. So he did play Free Fallen live, but he didn't like it because he, got, he felt he was defined by that song. But Tom Petty is one of our greatest American songwriters. And go listen to Full Moon Fever by Tom Petty. Every song is good. Every song, every song is good on that record. So my number five 
is an odd one that I'm not sure a lot of people are getting. Well, they'll they'll know it for for one of the tracks on it, but the game by Queen that came out in 1980. This is the album that has another one bites the dust on it. Uh, but that's the song you'll know. But a lot of these other songs on it, you're not gonna know, and they're amazing. Uh, Sail Away Sweet Sister is a track on that album that is not sung by Freddie Mercury and it's an actual Queen song and it's who sang it uh, John Deacon maybe I think or? it was John yeah. Deacon that yeah. sang that track cool uh, just uh, songs like Dragon Attack that's like the hardest rocking almost disco song that you've ever heard in your life I mean and if you like Queen if you're a Queen fan at all, if you like Bohemian Rhapsody, if you like uh, You're My Best Friend, if you like if you like Queen at all, go look up the game on your streaming device. Listen to the thing front to back, and it's, it's, it's a great listen. It's a really good record. I don't know that either of the songs you mentioned, I'm going to go listen cool. to, the whole, to the whole album at some point. All right, should I go with my next one? Yeah, go with your number all right. four really really hard to choose and I admit I gave this one a boost uh, just to make sure I got it in my top five it's Exile in Guyville by Liz Fair I'm a huge Liz Fair fan she's a lover or hater kind of artist and I really don't understand the hate I just think her stuff is great it's got edge it's melodic it she can go all over the map emotionally this is her debut album or at least her debut significant album it may or may not have been written as a response to Exile on Main Street by the Rolling Stones, depending on who you ask. But it is a way, um, or it was her way of showing that even as a woman in a man's world, which rock was in the 90s when this came out, uh, she could have just as much brashness, just as much fire as the male rock and rollers that she was up against. And I will, I will just tell you, this is not for the kids. Sorry, there's a little bit of inappropriate language, a yeah. couple songs on this album. But uh, Liz Fair gets a little graphic about curate, relationships. Yeah, stuff. Cur- curate this one if you're listening with your kids, but it's such a great album, and every song is amazing, and every song is different. And you can listen to it in any setting. You can listen to it when you're driving. You can listen to it when you're relaxing. You can listen to it when you are just want to get yourself pumped up. It's got a full emotional range, and it's hugely original at least when it came out in i don't know what year but in the 90s i know liz fair and i i know i've got at least four or five of her songs in my ridiculously large itunes library where are are a couple of songs on that record that you really like i love the song six one did she had a she had a she had a album called like white chocolate space white chocolate space egg i think was the next album the first three or four albums are all great and after that, she kind of fell off the map, and I don't know if that's because the songs aren't as good or because um, the reception wasn't as good, but I just think those three or four albums don't have a bad track on them anywhere. I could have chosen any of them, but Exile and Guyville was the most original. Oh, man, I really like Stratford on Guy. I really like, uh, shoot, I can't remember which track it is, but there's one about <laughs> being on a plane and cu- flying into Chicago at night, and I... Probably ought to look that up. I love the divorce song. Uh, I love mesmerizing. These are all great pop punk songs with a lot of grunge in them. Fantastic stuff. And is doesn't she play lead guitar? Yeah, yeah. She's she's and rhythm and, too. She's, yeah, she's a very good guitar player. I was going to say she's kind of when you think of women guitarists, you don't think of Liz Fair right off the bat. Yeah, you probably should. Though. And you probably should. All right. So my fourth one, and the reason I put it 
in fourth is because it's Led Zeppelin four. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's there's literally not a bad track on this record. It, it's it's if Zeppelin had a greatest hits record, they'd have to put this on the entire thing and then add other stuff to it because there's not a song on here. The the one song on this record that I don't think most people know about is Four Sticks. But, uh, you know, if you don't know Four Sticks, you need to go listen to that. I'm not exactly sure if that's why they named it this way. But Bonham is actually playing using two sticks in each hand for this song. I'm not 100% certain, but that might be where the uh, where the name of the song comes from. Well... I got to admit, Seth, it's my guilty secret. A lot of the Rock You students know that I don't really like Led Zeppelin very much. It's kind of <laughs> difficult to be a rock educator and not be a Led Zeppelin fan. But I did listen to this album a lot when I was younger. And when you said there's not a bad track on this album, I was like, yeah, it's definitely got to be a bad track on this album. And I just went back and checked my phone while you were talking. And you're right. Every track on this album is a killer. Black Dog, Everyone. Rock and Roll. Is it my turn? Yeah, you're number three. All right. Again, I didn't really rank them in my preference order, but I did. I did rank them in some order. Well, if you if you if you seeded them for a tournament. No, nah, I know, but I didn't put them in the list that way. But that's okay. Uh, I'm gonna okay. go with another another uh, another female guitarist. I'm gonna go with uh, Celebrity Skin by Hole, and Ooh. this is just an album where every song is good. And every song, I can listen to this album over and over again on loop and never get tired of it. It doesn't have as much range or originality as Liz Fair, but it just, it hits you right in the, whatever the part of your brain is that controls those emotions of excitement and, and uh, energy. And uh, a lot of people gave Kurt Cobain credit for writing most of this album. Listen to Courtney Love's other stuff. She's a great songwriter and a great singer and a pretty good guitar player too. And I don't, I don't buy it. I think she wrote it, and or at least maybe she worked with. Maybe Kurt gave her some feedback. If you didn't know this, Kurt, Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love were married. Um, but I just love this album, and it's just a, it's just a, a favorite of mine. I don't really have a, that's a the justification for including it, but that's the one that Doll Parts is on, right? No, that's not. That's the album Doll Parts. I think I could be wrong about that, but it's got Malibu on it. It's Malibu, got Run yeah. to the Pines, I think it's called. Um, oh, Malibu's such a great song. Oh, my goodness. Uh, hold on. Let me oh, just no. quickly. Doll Parts is, Doll on Parts is, a, is on, now called Doll Parts. I thought it was Live Through This. Maybe. I thought you that could was be right what Doll that. Parts was on. I do, I do like other whole albums, too. And now my internet's not working. But I'm just going to look up this, look this up for you. Since you asked, kill some time. <laughs> play the Jeopardy theme. <laughs> Seth, by the way, is running our console, <laughs> our recording operation here. All right, here we go. Celebrity Skin. It's got uh, Celebrity Skin, Celebrity Skin, which is yeah. a great tune. It's got Malibu. It's got Awful, which is a great one. It's got uh, Northern Star. That's the one that's the Running to the Pines. I love. I lo oh yeah, uh, my okay. doesn't work. Northern Star is a great song. Boys on the Radio is a great song. Um, Petals is a great song. Every song is awesome on this album. I'm gonna go for my number three. It's So by Peter Gabriel. That was in my bracket. It, it didn't make it to the top oh, four five, it. but it's in my bracket. Good choice, yeah. though. So is actually the last record that Eddie Van Halen ever bought. No kidding. It is the only record that, good that he shared with his son Wolfgang and said, you've got to listen to this. Big Time and Sledgehammer. It's a really good record. It's got uh, a lot of uh, just 
absolutely amazing music on it. There's a, a, there's a duet, well, not a duet because they kind of they they play off of each other, but with Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush, uh, which uh, a song called "Don't Give Up." Love it. The vocals on that are awesome. Uh, that's where I got introduced to Kate Bush. Was I was like, "Who's this chick singing with Peter Gabriel?" Because I, I I think I bought the record like you know the week after it came out on tape so that I could play it in my car. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was that's my number three. It's it's such a great record. I got, I'll add a little bit, bit of trivia about that album. So. I don't remember exactly how many of the Peter Gabriel albums fit this description, but at least for the first three or four that solo albums that he did, he didn't name them. The name yeah. was only on the plastic cover of the album. So once you took the plastic cover off, it had no name. And I think people call these albums by their name, but they officially they're not. He didn't really name the albums so, or I can't remember the names of the other ones, but Shock well, so, the Monkey was one, I think. So, yeah. They all began so, with S, I know that. So is the one that actually has it on the cover. It does? Okay, it's the first yeah, one. Then. So's yeah, so is the first one, I think, that okay, has it on the cover. Cool. There's the one that where like half like the half of his digitized his pictures yeah, yeah, coming yeah. off yeah. that some people call it the Melt album yeah. or something like that. Yeah, like the if if you look through, just look at the cover of the album, it just says Peter Gabriel. Like right. the first four or five of his records are yep. just Peter Gabriel, Peter Gabriel, Peter Gabriel, with the, just a different picture on it. Cool bit. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of, uh, well, now it's not really speaking of albums that don't have the correct name, but there's there's a connection in there, but you can ignore or Seth can edit out later. But I got to go with my T-shirt for my second album on my list. I'm going to go to the Beatles, and it's really hard to pick one Beatles album that doesn't have any filler songs. It's not easy, but I'm going to go yeah. with Abbey Road, and I love Abbey okay. Road, which was actually, even though it was the second to last album released, it was the last one they recorded. Uh, they recorded Let It Be first and released it later. Uh, a couple reasons why I chose Abbey Road. First of all, you see the emergence of, Paul, of George Harrison as a songwriter on par with Paul McCartney and John Lennon. Yeah. Something, Here Comes the Sun. And, Here Comes the Sun Oh, is... man, what's the third track? Here Comes the Sun, I think, is the most streamed Beatles track on Spotify. It, I, I'm and sure you're also, right. It was uh, it was my mom's favorite Beatles song. And there's one more. Oh, I guess it's just those two. But anyway, uh, and the song Something uh, was famously referred to as uh, by Frank Sinatra as his favorite Lennon-McCartney tune, even though it was written by George Harrison. <laughs> Another notable feature of this song is the medley on side two. Uh, Here Comes the Sun King, which is unrelated to Here Comes the Sun, Poly, uh, Polythene Pam and a Mean Mr. Mustard. And this is a really cool thing. The Beatles just had all these fragments of songs they couldn't quite agree on how to do, and they just ended up sticking them all together. And like everything else that the Beatles did, it was magic. Almost everything else the Beatles did. Let's not talk about Revolution 9 right now, uh, <laughs> which is why the White Album does not qualify. <laughs> but uh, th this, I, I could listen to this album over and over again. One other cool little thing is um, the song The End. Yeah, uh, is the only song to feature a Ringo Starr drum solo, and it features a little guitar oh. battle at the end with a, a solo with three guitars, with Paul on one, John on one, and George on another, and they each play. I think it's about four or eight bars, and then they trade off licks. They and trade off. Yeah, it's really cool. And then somehow by accident, left on the end of the tape, they left uh, the song "Her Majesty," which is I don't know, maybe it's twenty seconds long or something like that. Yeah. And when the Beatles heard it, they're just like, just leave it in there. So there's the end should have been the end of the album. But then there's some silence, and then you hear Her Majesty's a Pretty Nice Girl. So it's not necessarily my favorite album of the Beatles, 
but it is the one where there's not a single song I could take off that album. Some people might argue Maxwell Silverhammer, for example. Maxwell Silverhammer. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's uh, but, just that's one but, of the songs that I would be hitting. This is what Dink. the Beatles can do. This is what the Beatles could do. They could make things sound good even when you look at them and you're like, "Wait, what's good about that song?" I would listen to that song anyway because it just it, it makes it fun. It makes it light. When I was a kid listening to the Beatles when Maxwell Silverhammer came up, I didn't think that was a bad song. I was 5-6 years old and I was like, "Yeah, all right, bring it on." And it's only that Maxwell Silver Hammer is only like it's they're like all fairly short. less than two minutes Probably. long. So it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's got O'Darlin' on it, which is a, a great song. It's just a fantastic oh, album. Darling. It's got Because, yeah. which is John Lennon basically playing Moonlight Sonata backwards and singing to it. It's a, one of the most beautiful songs ever in the Beatles catalog. So Abbey Road, my cool. number two. All right, so my number two record is. Uh, I had a, I knew what my number one record was going to be just from the start because it's probably my favorite record. We should just, try to guess each other's number one. Yeah, we should. I bet I can guess yours, but let's go ahead. You go with, go with your number two. So my number two is from one of my, I guess I would call them my co-favorite bands. Uh, and I had a hard time between two of their albums and I think the thing that pushed me over to one of these albums was the fact that the other one was just so ridiculously popular. And one of the tracks on the record that I chose, it's sentimental for where I grew up. So the record is Signals by Rush. And the other record that I didn't Love choose Rush. was Moving Pictures. Which Tom Sawyer. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tom Sawyer, Limelight, YYZ, such a, such Camera a, such Eye. A great just album. such great. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Such a great record. But Signals, I mean, uh, Subdivisions, uh, uh, The Analog Kid, such a great song. Um, and the one song that pushed it over the edge for me was the last track on the record that probably. They only played it one time in concert, and there's a bunch of people that probably don't know this record or song. It's called Countdown, and Great it's uh, it's about the uh, the time that those three guys, uh, Getty, Alex, and Neil, got invited to go down to Florida and watch the space shuttle launch. I grew up about 20 minutes away from NASA, and I graduated a year ahead of the woman who is in charge of making all the spacesuits for NASA That's and she cool. and she took over <laughs> that job from her dad wow which was really cool that record just front to back uh losing it i mean there's a there's there's an electric violin on that track that's really good the the lyrics for all the songs neil peart the in my opinion the most amazing drummer of all time uh, You're not the only one who thinks that. Wrote, yeah, I'm not. I'm, you know, I when I started playing drums, I went out and bought a pair of Neil Peart signature Promark 747 oak sticks, and I still have that first pair, and I have not gone through them yet. That tells you how hard he would go through sticks. He, that tells you how hard that guy was hitting his drums and his rim shots and all that. But um, he was the lyricist for the band. He when after he joined the the band after their first record, he wrote almost I think he wrote all the lyrics. 
I mean, he talked. I think to, he wrote pretty much all the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, he talked to Getty about what they would do with them because Getty actually had to sing, and he's like, eh, "I don't know if that goes as well as you think it does, but let's switch it up to this." Or I can't, I can't put all those syllables <laughs> in this song right here where you want me to. So can we adjust that? And they did, but uh, just such a great record. If you're not a Rush fan, totally and you agree. like, and you and you like. Uh, this signals is probably a good entry record. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you to start listening to like 2112 or which is a, a, another amazing record. Indeed. Uh, uh, but yeah, signals is like, if you're, if you're not into progressive rock and you want to kind of dip your feet in the pool, signals is a great record to, to listen to, to get into rush. I'm going to throw you a little Neil Peart morsel right now. Cause cool, I'm a I'll big fan, it. but not, this isn't about his drumming. This is about rock and roll. Uh, there's a video on YouTube, which we'll try to find and put in our show notes for today's podcast. There's a video on YouTube of him being interviewed and talking about how happy he was when he'd come off the stage and he actually played Tom Sawyer right. Yeah. Like, because it was so hard to get right, but it just shows you if you're worried about making mistakes, you shouldn't be worried about making mistakes. This is one of the things we try to get you to understand at Rock You. Everybody makes mistakes. It's really not about that. Your audience doesn't like your performance less if you make a mistake. They like your performance less if you're not feeling it. And they were feeling yeah. it every night. Oh, but making yeah. mistakes, yeah. Especially the songs like those, you make mistakes all the time. And even the guy who writes the part. All right, you ready to try to guess each other's uh, number one albums? Mine might be harder for you than yours is for me, and I could be well, way I know, off base. Well, I, I know this. It's, yours is not a Zeppelin record. Yes, you can, you can safely say that. It's not a Stones record. <laughs> it's not that either. And I'm guessing since you chose not a Beatles, Beatles for two, yeah. it's not, oh, man. So this is going to, uh, man, I don't know. This might be too hard. I don't know. Cake? If, no. It's a good guess. It's a good guess, but no, it's not a cake record. Although cake did make my bracket with Comfort Eagle. I Comfort did, Eagle. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'll tell you what it is. But first, let me try to guess yours. All right. It's either it's going to be either Van Halen or ZZ Top. Am nope. I wrong? Well, then I got nothing. I'm totally out. So <laughs> I thought I thought I had I thought I nailed that. I was going to go Diver Down or maybe or maybe Van Halen Two. Right? Is that what this was called? Anyway. All right. So what's your number one? Okay. Well. Uh, if you've been around Rock U a little while, you probably know that my favorite band is The Police. And I don't think Seth knew that. I'm looking at his face right now. I, I didn't. My favorite band is The Police. And they only put out five studio albums. And they're all amazing. So I've got a 20% chance of guessing this. Well, I was going to say, I, I was, I'm just going <laughs> to give it to you because the problem with The Police is uh, Sting mo wrote, the, wrote most of the songs, but... Uh, Stuart Copeland and Andy Summers slipped a few in there, and their tastes, their writing was a little bit stranger than Sting's, a little less palatable yeah. or accessible. Although I will give Andy Summers credit, he did win a Grammy for Best Instrumental for the song Behind My Camel. I've already forgotten which album that's on. Let me, Zenyatta Mandata, I'm not sure. I think it's Zenyatta Mandata. I think it is. I'm not 100% certain. I'm going to go with Regatta de Blanc, which I'm guessing was their second album now, uh, which yeah. starts with Message in a Bottle and has It's All Right for You and. Bring, bring on the night, which is my favorite police song. It's beautiful, or one of them anyway. Um, and the, one of the reasons why I went with it is because the uh, the Andy Summers and Stuart Copeland compositions on this are a little closer to something you can listen to without wanting to skip, uh, like Does Everyone yeah. Stare and Contact. Um, it's just I love the Police. I love all their stuff, but I admit I do skip some of the songs every time I listen to a Police album, but not on this one. So Regatta de Blanc for me. So. You wouldn't. Do you skip anything on synchronicity? Uh, 
That's the question. I'm going to admit, I don't really like Synchronicity as much as the others, but no, I probably wouldn't skip anything, but none of the songs on Synchronicity to me are as good as any of the songs on the first four albums. That's just not my... I can see that. Not, yeah. not, my, not my police. I can see that. Yeah. All right, so my number one record is the Joshua Tree. Wow. too. All right. I should have they're, seen that one coming, I guess. They're, they're one of my... Between Rush and U2 are like my two co-favorite bands just because I've been listening to them since, <clears throat> I don't know, 1980. Uh, I got introduced to U2 by, there were, there were these two punk girls, not punks because they were pains in the rear end. It was because of the music they listened to. They were, they would uh, sit in science class and, uh, we had to sit in alphabetical order, which means that I was sitting in between Heather Harris and Jennifer Payson. And uh, <laughs> Heather and Jennifer, if you're out there, send us an email. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and <clears throat> they would pass notes and pass cassettes to each nice. other through me. And the funny thing was, they'd be like, they they kind of knew what I listened to at that point in time, because at, at that point in time, I thought Van Halen was like the greatest thing ever. And they were like, they would have like an Adam Ant <laughs> cassette and they would hand it back to each other. And Jennifer or Heather would be like, you won't like this. And then Jennifer would pass like a Susie and the Banshees record up and she's, she'd be like, yeah, you wouldn't like this one either. But one day they walked into class, one of them walked into class with uh, War, U2's War. Great album. And handed it to me and said, you should take that home and listen to it. Nice. And I'm like, okay. I was like, is this like any of these other bands? She's like, no, 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 no. You, you'll like these guys. <laughs> and it wasn't that I don't think that I didn't like Susie and the Banshees, but because she gave me that cassette, I took it home. I listened to it over the weekend. I brought it back. I was like, yeah, uh, I just, uh, I went to Sound Warehouse and bought the record and got into YouTube and been listening to them ever since. Uh, there's very cool seriously not a bad track on that record and uh i went and saw them when they played the entire album front to back cool and i asked for forgiveness instead of permission and got tickets in the red zone that was right up by the stage and I could have, if I had pushed in front of a few people, I could have high-fived Bono and Edge when they came <laughs> down, came down to the front part of the stage. We sat there and watched uh, <clears throat> this. They they played some songs before they played the whole album, and then they played a few songs after that. But you know, watching Edge go from the guitar to the piano on New Year's Day, and do that, and just being like right there was just absolutely amazing and hearing them play that whole record although uh they didn't there i'm trying to remember the the song i think it's red hill mining town that they don't hardly ever play in concert because the pitch was too high for bono as he mm. got older yeah. so that was uh, that was that he, they fought through that song they may have they may have played it a half step low i was going to say we could email them and tell them they could transpose the song to a lower key yeah well i'm sure that they probably did they that, probably for the, that for the concert point, yeah. yeah they're they're smart guys they they're pretty good musicians especially mm -hmm. for a bunch of uh irish kids that answered 
Larry Mullen Jr.'s ad in the paper to, to be in a band when they were in junior high school or high school. Great documentary. We might have to talk about the uh, best rock documentary someday, but great documentary. I think it's called Under the Fallen Sky. Yeah. About U2's formation. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, that was... Th- Joshua Tree is such a great record uh, under a blood red sky for a live album that I could listen to those eight tracks all day long and twice on Sunday. So cool. That's, well, that's our, that's a good list. That is a good, you, you've got a good list too. Well, I mean, I, these, these are, I meant both that, of us. These are, uh, <laughs> these, these are, these are things that uh, there's a few on your list that I'm like, man, I, I need to go. I need to go back and listen to the list fair a little more. I'm a big fan. From the Sky Down? No. Yeah, that's it. From the Sky Down. From the, the Sky name, Down. Is the name of the YouTube okay. documentary. Sorry, you can cut that out, but I just thought I should get it right. That's all right, so. man. That's all right. All right. Well, this is a great list. We're going to be doing this every week. Uh, and uh, we have, we're also going to bring you some shorter topics. We're going to take a little break and come right back with the first one. Okay, so we've got a segment here we're going to call the one-minute matchup, and it's Beatles versus Stones. This is going to be kind of like the debate class at Rock U. It's going to be awkward if we actually come up with the same thing one of these days, because I think we can disagree on this one pretty safely. Yeah, but I mean, it's not that they don't have good points, but for this one-minute debate, we're each going to have a minute, and uh, Matt's going to take the Beatles, and I'm going to take the Stones. So I think we're going to... We'll just go alphabetically and match to start with the Beatles. <laughs> so we're All gonna right. get we're gonna put one minute on the clock. I got the stopwatch right here. Got the stopwatch ready to go. Ready? Go. Okay, this one's easy. I don't even know why this is hard. I could actually waste my first twenty seconds and still win Beatles <laughs> over Stones. Because the Stones put out three times as many studio albums as the Beatles. The Stones call themselves the greatest rock band in the world. And that's all nice and everything. But the Beatles, in the space of, depending on how you count it, about a dozen, 10 to 12 studio albums, every single time they released a studio album, they absolutely changed the way music is thought of and heard and played. Look at that. I still got 30 seconds you left. You got 30 more seconds. Today, I noticed that a lot of kids at Rock U are like, when they hear Beatles songs, they're like, ah, oh, uh, that, that sounds familiar. That, sounds, doesn't, that doesn't interest me because they've heard it before the reason they've heard it before is because everyone that followed did what the beatles did and the stones chased the beatles to rock and ro- to blues and rock and roll then they chased the beatles to indian sitars then they chased the beatles to psychedelia psychedelia the stones are a great band but they haven't put out relevant music in 40 years everything the beatles did in six and a half years of recording there's your minute is great <laughs> and changed music forever your turn, Seth. I, I won't. I won't. Get, I won't dock you points for for, for talking <laughs> trash about being able to do it in thirty seconds and then going seven <laughs> seconds over. Well, that's because I just had to finish. I, I, like I said, it's not in my line of sight. I got to keep it in my line of sight. I now. understand. I understand. You ready to go? I'm ready to go. Okay, here we go. Go. Okay. So yeah, granted, the Beatles did. The Beatles did. They were a great band. They did a lot of stuff. But, you know, they experimented with all sorts of stuff. But psychedelia, dude, they were all doing drugs back then. So that that's that's kind of just off off of there. The Beatles couldn't stay together. They couldn't they 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 couldn't tour. All they could you know, at the end of their career, I mean, yes, okay. So they did have the first large stadium show in history. But the Stones have been selling stuff out for fifty plus years. Oh, and by the way, God rest Charlie Watts. Uh 
So the Stones have longevity. Mick Jagger is the ultimate front man. Uh, they never stop touring. Uh, there's more Stones songs in movies than there are Beatles songs. On IMDb, there's 473 credits to 356. And other artists choose them more often to use their music. I mean, Scorsese, Wes Anderson, uh, and to a lesser extent, Stanley Kubrick. And I'm at a minute seven. <laughs> so, I mean, there's there's pluses and minuses for both. Listen, you can have you can like cake and you can like ice cream. You can like pizza and you can like burgers. But let's face it, when it comes right down to it, pizza and ice cream are better than cake and burgers. all right you can put your own comments in the show notes so i don't even know where you're going to find this but go ahead stick it stick your comments and see what you think and if you say beatles are the better band then you're right and if you say stones are the better band then you're wrong it's also right (laughs) thank you seth that was a good debate now we'll have to have an offline 10 minute matchup because i can refute all your points Uh, we'll see about that So you've had the main course. We're going to try to finish off these podcasts with just a little nibble at the end to, uh, you know, settle your settle your brains. And uh, today I'm going to introduce you to my co-host, Seth Hinckley. Now, I know a lot of you know me, but I don't know how many of you know Seth. And I'm the other bald guy at Rocky. Exactly. But now I think there might be one other between the two, ah. besides the two of us. But uh, well, I know actually more than one. Anyway, Seth, Seth brings a legal expertise, which I, let's see, how, let me think about it. Nope. I have absolutely no legal information at all. And so every once in a while, we're going to try to bring you something about the business and the law behind music. Take it away, Seth. I thought we'd just talk about copyrights today, which is uh, something that we actually had to look at to do this podcast. But it's uh, you'll hear if you if you watch stuff on YouTube at all about music and uh, and you ever wondered why you see YouTube videos about, oh, this artist didn't didn't have any money or they owed their record company like millions of dollars after they had this record that sold just gobs and gobs of copies. Um, it's, it all has to do with the copyright who owns the copyright. It's like, who owns your music? So, um, a copyright, and this is just copyrights. There's, there's copyright laws in every country on earth. Uh, and the stuff that I'm familiar with is the U S stuff. So in the U S if you have an original work of authorship, and that's like, if you write a poem or write a song or make a movie or they even have like in their in the uh, copyright offices the literature they're like if you create a pantomime or <laughs> it's like i guess marcel marceau can can do walking in the wind like uh robin williams always said and uh, have a copyright on that if it's an original work of authorship that is fixed in a tangible form of expression so if you write a song and you just sing it out to yourself and that's it there's no copyright. But if you record yourself on your phone, then poof, magically the copyright appears and you have that's cool. You have rights to that. Now, defending that copyright is going to be hard. So that's why you need to register it. So like uh, Big Pebble Records, when they have their stuff, you're obviously going to be filing that, uh, filing for copyrights. Uh, and oddly enough, on records, there's two copyrights that you can get. One is the the music that you can reduce to writing. So like all the notes on the staff uh, that you write down. And then the actual recording of the performance of it when you make the record. 
So each of those has its own separate copyright. Cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, uh, and there have been, as you can probably imagine, there have been multiple, multiple lawsuits over copyrights of people copying things. Uh, and as with every other lawsuit that gets filed, at least in the United States, 98% of them end up settling out so that you don't have to keep paying the lawyer and having all the expense of going to trial and you know exactly what the outcome is going to be. You don't leave it in the hands of a judge in a legal sense or a jury in a factual sense. But there's one case that when we were talking about this before we did the podcast that uh, Matt brought up, which was uh, John Fogarty's record label suing him for uh, the, some of the works that he did as, uh, with Creedence Clearwater Revival because he had assigned all of his rights and the rest of the band did too to the record label so that they could put out those records. And uh, uh, Run to the Jungle was the, the song that, that the suit was about because Fogarty, after leaving CCR, recorded The Old Man Down the Road in the mid-80s at some point. And the record company sued him for copyright infringement. <laughs> and at the at the trial court level, it was kind of funny the way that the way that Fogarty f showed them that he had not violated the copyright. He sat in the witness box and played his guitar. He played both songs, sang both of them, and the jury was like, "Yeah, they're not the same." <laughs> so that's uh, that's that. that is a that is a rare instance. Uh, I don't know if you're. If you're boring and legal and want to look it up, there, that case went all the way to the Supreme Court, but not about the copyright issue. There are certain if you read about it, they're like, "Oh, it's a Supreme Court case." No, that it was about the attorneys' fees. That was the issue that they litigated to the Supreme Court. That tells you where litigation goes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Fogarty in the witness box with his guitar playing both songs. I, I would have loved if if they had videotaped that trial. Back in the uh, oh, 87, 88, 89, whenever the case was, I would love to see the, the footage of him sitting, <laughs> sworn Fantastic. in, playing his own music. I would love to see that too. <laughs> Hey, Matt, tell us about our sponsor for today. We are very happy to be sponsored today by Big Pebble Records. Big Pebble is your one-stop recording shop for all Anglophone music in Paris, any level, any style. You can hear their first release, Posture, by former Rock U student Person M, out now on all major streaming platforms. Hey, rockers, we've got some exciting news. The last time we played an indoor show was December 2019 at La Boule Noire, one of the best venues in Paris. Well, the show after that was scheduled for March 2020. Can you guess what happened? That show never happened and we haven't had an indoor show since, but we are back. December 12th, all of our student bands, 20 in all, will play an amazing show at La Boule Noire. Check out our website, Facebook, and Instagram for details. Extra Credit, the Rock U podcast, is a production of Rock U. Expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend Seth Hinckley. And our theme music is written and produced by Tom Walters. Rock U is a nonprofit association, Loi 1901, and we'll see you next time.